Hello and welcome to Tex Talks Extra. I am Tex and today I'm very excited to bring you a brand new series in partnership with Bay Electronica, with Love, the agency and the Music in Africa Foundation, who launched an incredible program last month called Raise the Bar. Developed as part of the Music in Africa Live program, which is supported by the German Federal Foreign Office, Siemens Stiftung and the Goethe Institute, the Raise the Bar program seeks to bolster the presence of women in other aspects of the music industry, as well as equip them with the skill set necessary for survival in an otherwise impenetrable industry. Today, I am talking to music journalist, media strategist, and curator, Sheba Melissa Mazaza. Sheba, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's been such I've been anticipating this. It's such an honor. Thank you. I'm doing great today. How are you? I'm fantastic. And you say it's an honor, which I think is really sweet because it's actually super, super great for me to finally sit down with you. I feel like our paths have crossed so much over the years. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to do this. I think it's long overdue. Definitely. And fantastic to, yeah, to finally be able to do this. It, it's, it's funny. I think my sister's husband actually probably went to school with you. Uh, ben Mwasenga, am I getting this right? Do you know him? I do know him. I think we went to UCT <laughs> together. Yes. And he's always like, Tex is amazing. You guys should hook up. And I'm like, but, 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 but she's out there and she's so, she's huge and she's busy. Like, what do I do? <laughs> so it's really lovely to be able to connect those dots too. Oh, that is amazing. Shout out, Ben. What a, what a guy. What a legend. <laughs> what but, a you know, your, your career path has been a steady upward trajectory since you've started. I've had my eye on you. But it seems to me like you have your fingers in way more pies than I initially thought. So growing up, what did little Sheba think that the rest of her life would look like? Anything like it currently is. Oh, my goodness not at all like the way that it is right now. I think, you know, from a very young age, I was quite, I was quite an extrovert. I was all over the place. I mean, from first grade, my teachers used to say, oh, she's a law unto herself, you know, always jumping on tables and singing and dancing around. And like, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I was a mess, kind of a handful, but I really enjoyed my life. And I enjoyed watching TV and listening to the radio and reading books and just, you know, being in the world. Um, but I never really imagined, because I always told myself oh, I wanted to be an actress because I just loved, you know, just the entertainment industry was just dazzling mm. for me. But I never could imagine, I never could imagine what my life would be like as an older person because I just, I think I always knew that whatever I was meant for didn't really exist yet or I couldn't quite sort of materialize it in my mind as a little girl. So I was, you know, I was just sort of like, I'll figure it out one day. Um, and that didn't happen until I was in my early 20s. So, um yeah, it's been a it's been a fun one. Yeah, your early twenties, starting out as a music journalist at One Small Seed magazine in 2012, alongside good old Giuseppe, and then okay, <laughs> Africa in in 2014. How do you remember those early days? Oh my goodness, it's funny that you bring up Giuseppe because, like I said, you know, at that time I was a waitress and. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Like I'd said before, I just couldn't imagine it. And I didn't really, I knew what I was good at, you know, art, drawing, um, writing, but never really seriously. I had a little blog that I'd sort of do in my spare time that nobody ever read. <laughs> but, um, 
when I approached Giuseppe, they were looking for a new writer and I showed him my blog and he said, okay, none of this, none of this anymore. You should come and write for us. Um, and it was, it was pretty harrowing. He, he was very serious about his publication. It was a beautiful magazine. I absolutely loved reading it. Um, but it's a different thing to be working on the team. Hey? So mm-hmm. one day he got really upset with me and he was like, what are you trying to say? You know, you need to ask yourself, what are you trying to say? And I've never forgotten that because it's such an important question when you're doing the kind of work that I'm doing today. You have to really understand what the point of what you're saying is. It's very important to have intention. Um, and I think that's the number one thing that he taught me. And that's when I realized what I really wanted to do was to to write and to, to say something important, and to say something that's needed. And yeah, that's when I realized this is what, this is what my calling is going to be. You know, I'm so happy that you brought up intention because that is paramount to becoming a good writer. Like what is it that you want to say with A, your piece, and B, as a writer, yourself? And bearing that in mind, how do you see the current state of arts and music journalism in this country? Because COVID did a great job of decimating what publishing houses we had left. But do you think that there are enough platforms out there right now to give up-and-coming musicians a fighting chance? I'm, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. Let me not sort of mince my words. I'm very disappointed. I don't think there are enough platforms left, number one. Um, you get very sort of – I mean, social media has pretty much taken, taken that mantle up, hasn't it, where you get a lot of people mm-hmm. who jump onto, you know, like a, a TikTok or – Twitter and sort of go from there and say, okay, this is what they're trying to say. Great point. Yeah. It's, there's no sort of, either you get something that's very, very factual and paid by a brand, or you get something that has almost no sort of basis in fact, and it's mostly opinion and there's not really much in between. Um, So I think, yeah, we need to make much more of an effort to bring up, I mean, people say journalism is dead, but we need it more than ever because there's so much noise and so many opinions and so many sort of um, angles that people are trying to pursue in mass media that work for them only and not necessarily focus on a grander scheme of things or a a greater narrative or changing narratives about music or art or whatever it is that we're writing about, you know. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. And I think that we, we have a greater responsibility now more than ever to do the right thing when it comes to what we put out into the world so um without trying to sound a little bit too self-righteous because i mean i make mistakes too um i think we have a long way to go but i think we also have a lot more interesting writers and people who are able to put culture into perspective and contextualize our stories now more than ever we just need to to get together and make it happen you know you mentioned that you had a little blog and that's how you started out. I also had a little blog that grew into a bigger yes. blog that grew into a company. And I feel like there needs to be more investment in kids, people who have left school, maybe don't have money to go to university and study. There needs to be more investments, investment at a grassroots level into people who want to start a little blog start a little TikTok, have a vlog idea, have a podcast idea. I feel like that is really how we're going to invest in the next generation of journalists, content creators, and people that really just love music and and love art. And I think that's what makes you such a great writer because 
at the end of the day, if you strip everything away, you love music. Like you love writing about music. And that's what sets you apart. That's the difference. And I, I don't feel like a lot of people that are writing about music today love music. They're writing about everything but the music. You know what I mean? They're, they're chasing clicks or they're chasing clout. And that's the wrong way to go about doing it. Spot on. Spot on. Yeah. I think, you know, some days I can't, I'll get home after a long day and the last thing I want to do is listening to music. Uh, well, yeah, the last thing I want to do is just listen to music and it's it's I, too much and there's just so much to, to say or not say and I totally get you on that one. But it, that's the thing. It's it's more than It's more than just sort of talking about the sounds that are coming to you and what you're hearing. It's, it's living the kind of experiences that these sounds can offer you, you know, the history that you can learn from through music, you know, your identity that you can sort of place your stake in, um, all of that. Music does all of that for us. It reflects society. It reflects our emotions. It reflects our mind states. And I just, I don't know what I would be without it. So I suppose that's what it is. Yeah. I love music and I can't live without it. I know people say that often, but I can't imagine a world where there isn't something to be said or learned from music. So yeah, I really hope that, that that's something that never really goes away in terms of society when we create music and, and we sort of inject that, that love and give it back and, you know, all of those nice things. I think that because of your fundamental love for music, your pieces are so meticulously put together. I want to know, what's your process when you begin working on an in-depth investigative piece? Where do you where do you start? Well, it usually starts with some sort of existential crisis, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sitting on, on Twitter and somebody will say something completely offside and I'll just get so angry, you know? And um, I think that... Yeah, it always starts with the feeling and whatever that feeling is, whether it's a bit of anger, because anger is a useful emotion, you know, it, it prompts people to act, um, maybe not always in the best way, but if you can channel that anger into uh, a useful place, then you, you'd, be interest, you'd be interested to see what you could find there, you know. Um, so yeah, the process is usually just sort of like a, oh, what, what, what can I do? What can I say about this thing? Or what can I sort of inject into this idea that isn't necessarily just something that is a reaction. Um, I think that we really have to do a lot more reflecting because so many things, like I said earlier on, I sound like I hate social media. I think, you know, it's a, it's a neutral space and we, it reflects where we are individually. So you'll get a lot of different things, but I think what I love about writing these pieces is that I can step back from a feeling like that. Um, and I can say, all right, let me think about this for a while. How can I reach a sort of sense of neutrality and build from there? Do I need neutrality? Do I need to have some emotion in this writing? You know, what is, what, what is it that I'm trying to say? There's Giuseppe's voice all over again. Um, <laughs> what do I have to say about this? You know, it's so important. And so it's usually that kind of introspection and sort of looking out into the world and saying, you know, what, what could I inject into this sort of narrative? And what can I say about this that might be useful? Uh, I never want to be somebody who takes the mic just because I can um, without having something constructive or something meaningful to, to, to add. Um, so, yeah, I suppose the process is really just a lot of thinking, maybe too much thinking, and then just sort of getting it down. You know, you can't really edit 
before you've gotten all the words out. You have to do that afterwards, but you really just need to hash it out with yourself and figure out the best way to, to communicate what you want to say. What's been a piece that you've written lately that you've been really proud of how it turned out for whatever reason? <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know about pride. Honestly, it takes like, I just, after I finish a piece, it's mostly relief. It's shock. <laughs> Where did this stuff that. come from? <laughs> you know, how did I come up with this? It just happened. Um, I think the last two pieces that I've written have been very different. Uh, the first one was, actually, they, they were both for Mix Mag. Um, one was a, a cover story for DJ Lag. Um, he was reaching a huge milestone in his career at the time. And I used to work on his team, as you probably already know. And just to see him grow across all of these years and to be able to tell that story as a sort of, I don't know, semi, semicolon kind of pause amongst all the stuff that's been going on and just to look back at what's what's happened and all the things that we've been able to achieve on the team, but also to see him kind of grow beyond everything that we ever thought he could do um, after I'd left was just amazing. And so I, I suppose that's where the pride comes in. I felt very proud to be able to do that. And a cover story is, you know, it's a big deal. So I enjoyed being able to put that together. But the morning that I had to hand that one in, my geezer burst. So there was water coming through the ceiling. I was freaking out. I had to get on a flight oh, in about two hours. <laughs> it was a mess. But um, I pulled it off and it came out pretty pretty great, actually. So, yeah, that was, that was a really good one. Um, and then the second one, well, the last one was uh, about African women in the electronic dance space. And it was a sequel to... Uh, one that we had done last year at MixMag, which is really just to sort of spotlight and feature some of the ladies who are making moves. This one was a little bit more personal to me. Like I said, I went on Twitter and I got angry and I thought somebody needs to say something about this because it's really unfair. Um, you know, I don't see a lot of people coming to defense for the women in our country and across the continent. And we don't have a lot of publications, like I said before, um, that would allow for that kind of conversation to be had without saying, oh, you know, we, we don't want to upset anybody or alienate any of the artists who are going to want coverage later on. Or, you know, people are always afraid of speaking up about mm -hmm. things like this because they're going to lose something. Um, and I just, ah, man, you know, if I had to reach into this, this bag of emotions again, I just, I'm sick of, I'm sick of that feeling of holding myself back because I'm afraid of losing something. What can we, what can we put into the world where we feel like, as women, as women in the dance space, in the electronic music space, that we can feel like we've gained something from. And I think that's what I wanted to do there. And I'll always be proud of that. Um, a lot of people said, oh, you know, it was such a brave article to write. But I think that that insinuates that there is something to be lost and there's a risk there. And I don't, I don't believe that I've lost anything. I think that we've all gained something from this, whether it's just a little bit of um, acknowledgement of some of our pain or the fact that there are people who are willing to listen and we know who our allies are now, you know, I think that it's important to have those feelings and not necessarily be the one to have to go on social media and say, you know, this and this happened to me and I'm so disappointed and I've spent all this time grieving my choices because now everybody's making me pay for them. And that's how a lot of women feel. So I think I just wanted, I just wanted them to know that I was listening, that I see that they're working hard and that they're suffering in a lot of ways and, I just didn't want them to have to continue doing that on their own. And I think, yeah, hey, let's call it pride. Why not? <laughs> 
yeah, that's it. I haven't read that woman in African dance music piece for Mix Mag. I saw it come up on my timeline a few days ago, but and I was like, oh, I must bookmark it and come back to it later. Now, the first thing that I do when we end this podcast is I'm going to go read that because my favorite piece of yours, but my favorite piece that I've read in so long was that profile piece that you did on DJ Lag. I just felt like you wrote it from a point of knowledge and from a very familiar place. And I felt like I learned so much about DJ Lag, who is considered quite a private person, you know, but obviously because you have that relationship with him, you were really able to get down to the nitty gritty where not a lot of people do. So yeah, I, I just wanted to tell you that that piece was spectacular for me and I loved it so much. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to love the woman in, in, in African dance music piece too. You are a G, but (laughs) you, you mentioned working with lag, um, working with black major. Talk to me about that chapter because now you know you're at a a point in your career well back then where you were establishing your career as a music journalist and then you get this opportunity to work with Black Major what were you doing with them and how did it challenge you in ways that you know you necessarily didn't think you were going to be challenged in a job like this I feel like you know exactly what the answer to this is because it was so challenging. My goodness. <laughs> um, I think at the time, you know, the fun, it's a funny story. The funny thing about that uh, position was that I think it was in 2014 or 2015, I'd approached Sevi and I said, I don't know much about, you know, the, the whole world of, of Gorm and, and what's going on in that sort of arena. But I've heard about Black Major and it seems like, you guys have your finger on the pulse of something really huge and I'd love to be able to work with you. And I don't think I really understood the magnitude of the work back then. And I think she saw that. And so she said, look, I'm not sure if you're ready. So, um, you know, do a little bit more digging, get some more experience and then come back and see, you know, what will happen. And I was upset, obviously, because I thought I was ready. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was a funny time. So shortly after that, I I said to myself, okay, well, the best thing to do is kind of diversify. So I started working with Design Indaba, um, you know, just doing sort of more admin-based roles because I think that's what I was really missing at the time. As much as I enjoyed writing, um, I had no experience in sort of production or anything like that. And so I think that's what I really needed as well. Um, But then when I came back to her, you know, it seemed like she had been waiting for me, which was great. Uh, and we started working together. And um, at that time, I took the position of media strategist. And the team is very, very small, but they work fiercely. I mean, I've never worked so hard in my life. I think that um, with all of the artists there, there's such a commitment to just getting the music out and making sure that it's wonderful and it's soul-stirring. And, you know, there's something really important to add to the, you know, massive waves of music that you do get out in the world and to do the job properly and to make sure that people really understand what it is that these artists are trying to do. And um, I think the most challenging part was the hours because I'd been a freelancer for pretty much 
I mean, yeah, everything I'd, I'd chosen my own hours before and, you know, I'd worked on something for about a year and decided that that was enough time. I wanted to move up quite quickly. So I didn't want to stay at one place for too long, but I ended up staying at Black Major for a really long time. And I think I enjoyed suffering. <laughs> I enjoyed putting in all of that work and arriving early hours in the morning and leaving really late at night. And I remember um, DJ Lag and uh, Morena Laraba had gone somewhere. I think it was in Berlin or something like that. Um, and I'd suggested that we do an OK Africa takeover on Instagram. But these guys were so busy that they couldn't do it themselves and they didn't really know sort of what the flow should be. So I was up at five o'clock in the morning reposting pictures tagging things you know I hadn't slept all day I'd come straight from work it was a Friday so it's stuff like that that I I, it, I think it really showed me what I was made of and I, I can't I can't ever complain about that experience because now I know just how far I can go and just how hard I can work and it's always been worth it so um, that job really changed my life uh, that's when I started traveling as well and really understanding the world and what music and especially the music that South Africa is creating is doing in the world. So yeah, fantastic, fantastic, but very, very challenging. And at least now I know what I'm made of. And, you know, it must also be incredible when you start to see the fruits of your 5am labor pay off, you know, when a musician <laughs> begins to build a global profile and, and, you know, take, take off and getting, you know, the music is, is out there and it's, it's, you know, people are loving it. I'm, I'm sure that that must be an incredible experience. Oh, yes. I mean, it's. I never thought I'd be working on something like a Grammy nomination campaign. That sure. just to me, you know, it, it brought me back to that feeling of being little Sheba and thinking, I don't know what the future is going to be like. I have no idea, but I know it's going to be something that's going to speak to my soul. I just, I don't think it exists yet. And, you know, just that sense of the, the unknown um, and then things just sort of coming into your your field of vision and just being shocked that they're there, but then you know you have to put in the work to be able to maintain um, has been really great. So, yeah, seeing him grow like that has just been, it's unbelievable, and it really sort of broadens the horizons for myself personally. You know, you want to believe that anything is possible for yourself as much as any artist that you're working with or interviewing. Um, so I think it, it gave me that kind of hope too. I discovered that you also work on campaigns for artist service agency Platoon in the New Music Africa division, which sounds super exciting. So I want to know what sort of campaigns have you worked on with them and been involved in? Wow. Yes, that was also another one of those, I can't believe this is happening moments, but it lasted for about a year. Um, to be honest, yeah, 2020 was, it was tough. It was the pandemic. Mm. Um very lots of lots of instability. A lot of artists were really worried that they weren't going to be able to continue doing what they're doing. Um, but the campaigns are really strong. I mean, Platoon has got a, an amazing track record on the continent and in the rest of the world. And it was such an honor to be able to um, get on board with the guys there. Um, yeah. So this was just after I left Black Major. Hagar had reached out and said, "You know, you got to come with us. Let's do this thing." And I think let me yeah. Let me fast forward to my favorite campaign. I think it was Sunnel Musicians to the World and Beyond. Um, unless I'm getting this wrong. The Universe and Beyond, something like that. <laughs> but uh, it, it, was, it was the most, I think, I dug really deep with that one. We did a lot of research on uh, Zulu and Xhosa traditions and 
we were designing sets and things like that for their virtual screening. So obviously, I, you know, I wasn't around for a lot of the execution of it because we had to do social distancing and things like that. But just looking at sort of Afro um, astrology and sort of ethnologies and, and tying the sort of space theme to um, these very sort of traditional, um, I suppose, ideas of what it means to be African was really interesting and trying to give all the L world uh, music artists their own identities and sort of make them known through their costumes and the music that they were releasing on that album was just a really great process. And um, at times, you know, because I'm, I'm half, I don't even want to say half, I guess, you know, I have a Zulu grandparent, but my family's from Malawi. Um, but I was born in the UK. So it's kind of, you know, there's a little bit of of each of those things in me at this point. And it, it was difficult because I didn't want to assume too much about what it meant to be an African and trying to portray that with the, this campaign specifically. But, uh, you know, every time I had a moment of doubt, uh, I could just get on the phone with Msaki and ask her her opinion. And thankfully I didn't stray too far. Um, but that was one of my favorites. And, you know, really a lot of artists that I was working with that year were finding their feet and it was really nice to be able to sit down and go through their their bios and their campaigns and sort of put all these pieces together and help them to realize themselves as people um and i think that that's the most important part you can you can want to create all you like but if you don't have an understanding of who you are as an artist and where you want to go and how you're going to get there with a plan things can be very messy and very tumultuous so it was nice to bring a little bit of unity to all of that and to make sure that we were doing right by all these artists and it was a great experience but um yeah, like I said, very stressful, tough time. Um, yeah, I look back on it and wonder where all of that time went. It just went by so fast. I spoke to Zetu on one of the episodes for this limited edition podcast, and she said the same thing. She said it's paramount that an artist know who they are and know who their audience is and who they're talking to, and that will help them shape their brand identity, especially when it it comes time to contact brands and put together PR plans and marketing plans and things like that. So I'm very happy that you mentioned that just to reinforce what she said too, because that is very important. Um, but I'm also very interested in the African Consciousness Institute, which is a nonprofit organization that you built alongside your dad that aims to contribute to the well-being of African creatives with the help of mindfulness, consciousness, and spiritual health practices. And especially post-COVID, I think this is very, very important. So tell me a little bit more about what your nonprofit stands for and if you're currently working on anything that you'd like to tell me about. Sure. I mean, we've had to take a pause since the pandemic, but we went virtual. Um, let me start by saying that the African Consciousness Institute was really started by my dad because he was a medical doctor for, oof, well, as long as I can remember. I mean, when we moved from the UK, he had come here because he wanted to be at the same hospital where they did the first heart transplant. So he was really hungry. I think that's where I get it from. Um, he <laughs> just wanted to be the best, you know? And so he moved us all um, probably against my mom's will at some stage. She was just like, what are we going to be going to do there in the middle of apartheid? But, you know, um, and he, he always had this spirit of just wanting to, to really make a way for himself and to fight for the things that he be believed in. And, you know, it's, it's contagious. When you hear him talk about how much he believes in Africa's future um, and wanting to be here and wanting to be a part of it and making something that can contribute to that, 
um, it's really it's contagious and and I, I share the same sentiment you know so what we try to do there is we want people to understand like we were saying earlier on like Zetu was saying understand who you are as an African it's not necessarily about which country you're from or mm. you know what your journey has been like because you we're all over the world as Africans there, you know, we come in all kinds of different shades, different shapes and sizes and all kinds of, you know, lineages, but our home is the same. And there's something to say about our Africanness as a whole and that the unity in that Africanness is really, really important. I'm sure you've seen lately things like Operation Tudula are happening in South Africa where mm-hmm. now, you know, every, every other sort of African national that's present in, in this country is getting a whole lot of flack for just trying to survive and, and lead a good life. Um, and the African Consciousness Institute is about waking up to the fact that we are all African, we share the same home, we can band together and, and figure out how to get out of the mess that we're in. You know, we don't necessarily have to live out the sort of the history that's been, I suppose, given to us. You know, we we can fight for our own states of well-being. It's not just about anti-racism or anti-poverty or anti-illness it's about that internal knowledge of understanding yourself and what you're capable of and having the strength to be able to say okay I can determine my own future and I suppose with that that feeling of not necessarily having a handle on what the future would be like when I was younger is it's, it's a blessing and a curse the two sides of the same coin if you don't know what your capacities are and you don't have faith in those things, it's difficult to chart a path forward. So I've also struggled with anxiety. Um, you know, it's been difficult to sometimes sort of say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go down this path. Um, nobody at the time is there to sort of lead me through my career or lead me through sort of emotional states where I'm not really sure what I'm wanting to do. Um, but within this, this institute, that's what we're trying to, to help people to realize is that if you know who you are and if you can understand and learn yourself through whatever trials and tribulations you have, then you, you have a good chance of winning. And so it's really just a, um, a coming together of two generations really trying to, to help people understand exactly what that Africanness can mean for them. Um, and so during the pandemic, we had done a series called Dealing with Stress. Uh, wow, I could get very deep about this. We could go all bell hooks, but I won't. <laughs> it's really just um, a video series where we chatted to different Africans to find out what we could possibly do to help them deal with the stress of the uncertainty um, and feeling just the the after effects of things like colonialism, race, racism, you know, lack of opportunity, and trying to figure out a way together. Um, we had a few events as well. Uh, we're on a bit of a pause at the moment, but we're working on um, more sort of mental health practices and workshops that we're wanting to have in a conference probably next year. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of sort of internal work that we have to do because we don't have a team yet. Um, but I'm looking forward to see what we can build in the future. It's such noble work and such important work. And please keep me in the loop with all of your future projects. And if I can be of help or involved in any way, you now have my email address and my number. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And then as a parting note, what advice would you give to other women who are listening to this podcast and want to follow in the footsteps of your unconventional career path? Um, how do I say this? How do I say this? 
I don't want to say stay in your light, stay in your lane, because that's not the right advice. Sometimes you have to try things and you have to suck for a while before you can get at something. <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> you know, but uh, understand what your portion is at the same time. You can't look out into the world and say, no one else is doing this or other people are going to judge me or whatever the case may be. I have a lot of people who sometimes come up and say, what do you do, Sheba? You know, we don't understand you and we're confused. And But that's not that's not the goal. If they're confused, that's fine. If you're not confused, that's perfect. You just have to understand exactly where your feet are and where your path is going to be going toward. And, you know, then if you, if you really know yourself, you can do anything. You can, you can learn anything. You can get good at anything. Um, and that's what the, the meat of it is, I think. Sheba, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today as a longtime fan and an admirer of your work. This has been such a treat for me. And I wish you all the luck um, for the rest of 2022. And I hope that our paths cross very soon so that we can have a long fat chat about how much I really enjoyed that DJ Lack profile. I love it so much. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Tex. I appreciate this. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. A huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store for always having our backs technically. Remember to follow Text Talks on all socials and subscribe and rate on whatever platforms you stream your podcasts on. Head on over to texttalks.com for all our previous episodes. And remember, that's text with a double X. From me, your host, Tex, producers Jonathan Ings and Matthew Lewitz, and research and associate producer Al Clapper. Catch you on the flip side.